So you, uh, you bite the bullet on getting a max account? <sighs> oh, f- I can't believe you've done this. Oh, thanks. Now I have to bleep that. Now we both... <laughs> now we both cross each other up. I don't know if that's what you were going for, but well done. <laughs> no, it wasn't, but I'm, I'm very glad this has happened, and this is exactly the kind of comedy you could expect here on Under the Bridge. Yes. I mean, and for the record, I have not fully committed to it in any capacity. All right, well, you do you. I might reactivate mine just for my Adventures of Superman. Yeah, I mean, that's the main reason for me, because, like, on one hand, don't want to give Warner Brothers money. On the other hand, tan, smart, tomboy Lois Lane and adorkable Superman. (laughs) Oh, shoot, there was a Harley Quinn trailer, too, but, I mean, trailer time's already going to be loaded enough, so... Yes, indeed. We're going to watch Harley Quinn anyway, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, welcome to Under the Bridge. That was long. <laughs> welcome to Under the Bridge, everybody. I gotta I gotta get moving because uh, I'm Cody, aka the Scarlet Troll. And I'm Greg, aka Greg. And we're, this is a long this is gonna be long because we, we gotta talk about Barbenheimer. Yeah, yes indeed. <laughs> I've decided I'm not calling this Barbenhopper and other stuff just because I want the algorithm to be able to recognize it. Oh fair, because I was gonna say it's like I feel like we should <laughs> Or call it Barbenheimer or something like that. Hashtag Barbenheimer. No, it's definitely Barbenheimer. I, the joke was last week at last week you called it Barbenhopper. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I was going to call it that, but then I wanted the algorithm to recognize. And, it, and it's not important. It's a fair. <laughs> we gotta get moving. A lot of stuff. It's Indeed. San Diego Comic Con this week. I only have a few things to cover, but oh boy. Anyways, we're gonna start with the non Comic Con, non trailer, non writer strike stuff. Oh boy. I swear to God, if Aquaman 2 is actually a complete movie when it releases, Mm. I will pay somebody $20. I don't know who. (laughs) Maybe just somebody at random. He's just like, there's a random passerby. He's like, excuse me, sir, would you like $20? Because Aquaman 2 exists. And he's like, thank you? (laughs) (laughs) I I have to balance out the nonsense with some nonsense. Because this movie... Went through another set of reshoots just recently. How? Well, before the writer strike happened. Okay, fair enough. Or at least before, definitely before the actor strike. It might have been mm. the reshoots were already scripted. I don't know exactly when they happened. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, apparently Gunn cleared a five-day shoot, which only took four. Efficient. Yeah, and they're still cutting, they're still making cuts of the movie. There's a new report going around that Ben Affleck has been cut from it. <laughs> okay. So, this movie went through two Batman, only to settle on no Batman. I mean, to be honest, I'm kind of glad about that, because I wasn't sure what DC was doing, but I kind of got the feeling that they were like, we need to shove Batman in as often as we reasonably can. It's like, no, you don't even really need to do that. (laughs) Well, I guess originally when Hamada was was running the DCEU, the idea was... They were going to establish in the wake of the Flash that Michael Keaton was going to be the new Batman, and there was going to be, you know, Batgirl and maybe Batman Beyond, who knows. Okay. But then when Gunn decided to do a hard reset, or even when it seemed like maybe that wasn't set in stone, they replaced him with Affleck because things changed, Hamada was out, and they were like, okay, we want to we wanna just establish the Batman everybody knows from these. Mm-hmm. So okay. we're going to Affleck. And then, not wanting to tie it to the DCEU, they decided, okay, no Batman. (laughs) 
So once again, we have a situation where these people pretty much still don't know what they're doing then. No, they probably With won't. the exception of James Gunn, probably. They, at this point, I don't even know. Mm. I hope he knows what he's doing. Yeah, same. But we won't really know until, well... Honestly, I don't think we'll have a clear thing until Creature Commando starts rolling out. Yeah. And even then, it won't be super settled until Superman Legacy. Which, who knows, that could probably get pushed back at this rate. Right. We'll get into that. Apparently there was a Masters of the Universe movie in the works at Netflix. Really? And now it's dead. Ah. Uh... After they spent at least $30 million developing it. Jesus Christ. But nope, can't pay the writers. We're too busy shoveling money out of a He-Man movie that's never gonna happen. Part of me wonders if they already put 30 mil into it, then what the overall projected budget was going to be. Like, was it just 30 mil or was it 30 mil out of 100 or something crazy like that? God, can you imagine spe- I, 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 I can't believe I almost made that comment. Can you imagine spending $100 million on something going straight to streaming? Secret Invasion's budget's like 220. <laughs> Is it now? Yeah, it's insanity. Oh my. Anyways, that is, is apparently not happening. I think there was some casting. Oh yeah, Kyle Allen was gonna was gonna be the lead. Okay. Well, so, I mean, not that, that response even matters because this movie isn't happening. <laughs> yeah, they already had directors attached. So, wow, nice work. So they had personnel and everything, and they were still like, "Yeah, no." <laughs> I might just call this section miscellaneous news and not dwell on anything. Fair. Because case in point, I'm gonna lead into this. So He Man is a Mattel property, right? Yes. Much like Barbie. Yes. Well, it turns out, apparently Mattel has, like, 45 movies in development in various stages based on stuff they have. Oh, Jesus Christ, no. (laughs) Please, no. Including including Hot Wheels. I don't care. (laughs) With J.J. Abrams attached. Why? (laughs) That's so much money. I know I made this joke ages ago. No, you don't actually need to make my joke about a Mattel Cinematic Universe happen, guys. (laughs) He has said his movie will be grounded. It's Hot Wheels! Emotional and grounded. Hot Wheels is the opposite of ground. It's in the air doing flippy flips (laughs) with nitrous and fire and everything. It's the opposite of grounded. What the hell? (laughs) I love this a lot. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, apparently, uh, among things considered are Polly Pocket, He-Man, like I said, uh, Hot Wheels, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Okay. Daniel Kaluuya's Barbie movie, er, not Barbie, Barney movie is still happening. Oh, that's right. Isn't that supposed to be like, wasn't the idea that's supposed to be like a more adult Barney film? Yeah, which, wh- what? Okay, th- that I am morbidly curious about, I will admit that. Apparently even Uno is being floated around, which, how the flying flip! <laughs> I, quick caveat, have you ever seen the intro to the Japanese Uno PlayStation 1 video game? No? Oh, I've got to show you this at some point. It's amazing. Oh, dear. <laughs> if you're listening, take, like, 90 seconds, or after the episode, preferably, but if you- Yeah, but 90 watch seconds, the whole thing, or at least wh- pause it, come back right afterward, please. Yes, but it's like- it just go on YouTube, search up Japanese PlayStation One Uno game intro. It is, it is magical. <laughs> oh, and, and by the way, while you're pausing the video, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you. That too. <laughs> Hit the bell. <laughs> and now for the last bit of this isn't technically news because apparently 
The interview where this was revealed happened in mid-June, but the internet's only just uncovering it. Kind of like mm. how Crash Bandicoot's voice actor dying went unknown for way longer than I would have expected. Right. So, and you know what? Uh, spoilers for the Flash movie, I guess. Mm. If you care. But I imagine if you care, you've already seen it. And you might have been right. one of the five people that did. <laughs> so, there's a whole big giant cameo fest near the climax of The Flash where different universes are colliding into each other. And it's mm. an absolutely ghastly CGI freak fest. <laughs> okay. Adam West Batman is there. Christopher Reeve Superman. George Reeve Superman. Which is disgusting because the man was so depressed over being typecast as Superman that he ended up killing himself. Oh, I did not know that. I, and didn't leave behind any real family, so there's a genuine question of, did anybody sign off on this cameo? Mm. But, but, the one that was driving people crazy was, there was a split-second blink-and-you'll-miss-it thing featuring what appeared to be a Golden Age Flash, Jay Garrick. Mm. And nobody could figure out who it was. The... Main belief was that it was Teddy Sears, who would have been an absolute slap in the face, because Teddy Sears was actually a cast member in the Flash TV show from 2014. But Oh really? <laughs> yes. He was playing Zoom, one of the one of the worst, most evil speedsters there is. Okay, mm. maybe not in the comics, but he was certainly very vile in this. Right. Pretending to be Jay Garrick. Hmm. So everybody was very upset figuring, wait, did they even watch The Flash? Turns <laughs> out, they're not even that close. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, the source used for making Jay Garrick in The Flash movie was one of the editors, Jason Valentine. Huh, okay. Yeah, in an interview he said, there was a moment with Machete figuring out the chrono bowls and the revisiting the different time periods, etc., and the Jay Garrick character, the black and white Flash, and he's conceptualizing that. He wanted that as one of the characters, and quite large on screen. And then DJ, our visual effects supervisor, said, Well, if we're going to have a digital character that large on screen, then it would be better to have a real face just to help with the look of the shot. And so I stuck my hand up, my arm nearly flew off my shoulder, to volunteer to have an opportunity to have my face stuck on the original Flash. Which, okay, what? good for you. <laughs> Happy for you. Happy for you. But also, let me check the timestamp real quick, because I'd really rather not have to censor this. I think we're safe. What the actual fuck? <laughs> you didn't get Grant Gustin or John Wesley Shipp, two actors who actually played The Flash in... Okay, I'm not going to pretend the 90s Flash series was beloved, but John Wesley Shipp was a damn good Flash. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you didn't get either of them, but you just stuck one of the editors in? What the fuck? Part of me wants to make a joke about the whole thing of Hollywood being like, we can just use their likeness once and then we can use it forever. And it's cheap because they're the editor. We don't have to bring in outside help. <laughs> oh, God, you might be right. Yeah, like oh. that's, that's, that's where my brain went as soon as you said that. It's just like, this is the shit that Hollywood's trying to do. This is why SAG-AFTRA is on strike. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> you know The Flash even has Nicolas Cage as Superman? What? Yeah, for all <laughs> for all 20 people in the audience who are going to get it. What? Oh. And he's still CGI. He was on set. How do you CGI? He was on set, and they layered him in fucking CGI. Why would you CGI Nicolas Cage? He's, like, literally one of the most recognizable faces, and if he's there, just use him. <laughs> Fighting a giant spider. 
<laughs> that should be great. That should be an awesome moment. That should be a, oh, holy shit, they even did that. And instead, it's, oh, fuck, why? So what that tells you, that there is a universe where Nicolas Cage Superman is real. There is hope. There is hope, brothers. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to get off of this and stop, <laughs> stop ranting about a movie that I've only seen bits and pieces of. Mm. Let's get into Comic-Con news, where I, weirdly enough, only have... Like, one actual comics thing to talk about. Okay. But several comic-related things. Alright. Starting with Mortal Kombat 1 DLC. Mm. Yeah, uh, so NetherRealm announced their combat pack, spelled with a K, as it must be. As is tradition. And in addition to Mortal Kombat veterans Quan Chi, Aramak, and Takeda, the DLC pack will also be including Omni-Man from Invincible, Homelander from The Boys... And Peacemaker. From Peacemaker. <laughs> from, from, from Peacemaker, yes. Well, and maybe the not Suicide from, Squad. Maybe not from the show. <laughs> we don't actually know if John Cena's voicing him. Mm. But we do know J.K. Simmons is voicing Omni-Man. Oh, okay. Which is neat. I still need to watch Invincible, and I still need to watch The Boys. I mostly just announced this because I was very excited for Peacemaker. I mean, I saw the DLC teaser, and I saw Homelander pop up, and the thing about it is that like, not even a month ago, Call of Duty um, introduced... No. A, yeah, it gets... Yeah, it's going exactly where you think it is. No! Call of Duty introduced a thing to their game in Modern Warfare 2 where they had a few of the boys' characters, including Homelander, as basically avatars. <laughs> and it's like, no, Mortal Kombat... I'm fine with. That actually makes fucking sense. Not Modern Warfare 2. And what's funny about that is that at the time I saw the news bit about that, I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe I should reinstall Modern Warfare 2 just to see, like, what's going on with it right now. And then I saw that. I was like, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> I think I'm good. <laughs> Look, I, I suck at most fighting games. I don't like most fighting games. But mm -hmm. Peacemaker alone makes me tempted for Mortal Kombat 1. Man, I wish I could agree with you, not because it's Peacemaker, but because, as silly as it sounds, for all the things I have watched, and for all the hobbies and general interests I have, I cannot at all handle how absolutely insane Mortal Kombat goes with the gore. Mm. It's it's super cartoonish how extreme it is, but it's still, unlike Helsing in that regard, it still circles right back around to being decently uncomfortable. So also, I I really ought to get and focus on getting good at Street Fighter Six as the uh, reigning champion of our stream squad. <laughs> I'm gonna ride that. I'm gonna ride that yeah. until next time we do that. And and uh, Anthony beats the shit out of me. Oh, there's so many games I have to get this year, including Street Fighter Six. You have no idea. <laughs> I have some idea. Mm. I still have to get Pikmin Four. Have fun with that. Genuinely. I will hopefully. Mm. Another bit of video game news. We got a Spider-Man 2 story trailer. Which I still haven't fucking watched. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Yes. I probably should have specifically put that on the list, huh? Y yeah. Whoops. Do, do... <laughs> In the complete opposite end of that spectrum, I've been completely mesmerized by and rewatching the story trailer for Armored Core 6 that I believe came out on the exact same day. <laughs> Well, we got, we got Craven, Mr. Negative's back, Miles hates his guts, understandably mm. so. Mm -hmm. Harry Osborn's healthy again, I guess, and he and Pete <laughs> are embarking on, embarking on a job to heal the world, I guess, which then gets echoed by Venom later, so 
I really so, wonder why they're playing up Venom's identity as a mystery when they already revealed what was going to happen at the end of the first one. So Osborne's a super-powered hippie now? Is that what I'm getting out of this? <laughs> yeah, probably. Mm. I think they made him Venom in the Marvel Spider-Man series. Oh, okay. Whatever the recent one was that didn't have an adjective. Okay. I know Harry Osborne was Venom in something recent. I say recent, but it's probably been ages now. Mm. Anyways... Oh, also, there's a bit where you see Mary Jane hiding around a corner from Symbiote Suit Spider-Man. So, probably another oh. stealth segment. Oh, okay. My least favorite part. Hmm. Yeah, that's why I want to play Spider-Man, to play the people with no power sneaking around. I mean, it's better than having to defend somebody so that they don't die for, like, way too damn long. <laughs> and... Six of one half a dozen of the other. Hmm. We got some animated movie news, and... Jesus Christ, DC. Oh boy, what do we got? <laughs> They've been doing a new animated movie universe, because they had the... They had the one, and then they replaced it with the Tomorrowverse, I think it's called. And I'm not honestly sure if these two are going to be based on that. Okay. But they've announced two animated direct-to-video movies for 2024, and they are two things, two titles that I am sick to death of hearing about at this point. Crisis on Infinite Earths! And Watchmen. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? Right? Just let Alan Moore have some peace. Yeah. We don't need another Watchmen. Stop trying to fold Watchmen into the broader DC universe. It was stupid when you did it in Doomsday Clock, especially because you ended up just completely going, oh, actually, Dr. Manhattan wasn't responsible. It was all Perpetua. Fuck, I hate comics. <laughs> I say that with the deepest possible affection. <laughs> Which is still very little affection. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. No, God, I just I just want Watchmen to stop. Mm. Yes, it's a... It's a seminal book. I understand that. Its impact cannot be understated. But mm. its impact gets lessened every single time you do another one of these things. Mm. One of these days, somebody's going to do that, that Simpsons bit of Watchmen babies. I guarantee oh. you. Oh, Jesus. Oof. <laughs> Somebody will do that. Yeah, probably, honestly. It seems like one of those things is like, okay, guys, we're going to get it popular this time. I promise. Really, for reals. For reals. Right? <laughs> and then Crisis on Infinite Earths is just... You're never going to top the Arrowverse version. I can't believe hmm. I'm saying that, because the Arrowverse <laughs> is, in a lot of ways, flaming Horrible. hot Cheeto garbage. I mean, uh, no, I'm not going to go up to bat for flaming hot Cheetos. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. Hmm. But... If the Arrowverse got one thing right, it was making Crisis on Infinite Earths feel huge in scope in a way that you are never going to be able to replicate, especially not now that you blew your CGI live-action load on the Flash. I thought that the one thing that they got right was that it ended. <laughs> that was mean. You know what? That was kind of mean, considering yeah. I only watched three episodes before noping the fuck out. Yeah, man, look, I didn't get that far myself, relatively <laughs> I got, like, a season plus in The Legends of Tomorrow, I got, like, a season plus into The Flash, I got almost three seasons into Arrow before I gave up on that one. Mm. But no, you are never going to top Crisis. Mm-hmm. And it's especially baffling because they were trying to do it with the DCEU when Hamada took over. He wanted to do Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it's like, no, you ain't. You're never going to yeah. pull that off. Yeah, that's 
I mean, I unfortunately, I'm not very familiar with the overall context of all, but it, I know enough to go, it's like, yeah, that's not happening. Or it's not happening in a coherent manner. Christ's on Infinite Earths literally is the entire infinite multiverse ends up trying to team up against one singular villain, and generally they fail in the sense of the multiverse gets compacted back into one singular Earth. Hmm. It is an absolute love letter to the zaniness that is alternate universes. It had... Oh, it was such a crazy thing. And, <laughs> the, like I said, the one, the one thing I will give the Arrowverse... Okay, I can give the Arrowverse more than that, but the main thing I'll give the Arrowverse is the fact that they actually captured that because they had Tom Welling from fucking Smallville. They had Tom Ellis Lucifer. They had Birds of Prey, the awful... What was that, 90s show? Make a cameo? Oh, really? <laughs> Bert Ward makes a cameo. Kevin Conroy was in it. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, you are never going to top this. Give it, like, 20 years. Huh. Anyways, I'm, I'm very frustrated by these announcements. <laughs> really, you don't say. <laughs> I, I feel like Crisis on Infinite Earths, I don't know, maybe it's to cancel out this current animated universe so that James, whatever James Gunn does will be the main one, but ugh, I don't, I don't like that. Yeah, no, I don't blame you there. Just because I don't want to see a focus on the multiverse doesn't mean I don't want there to be a multiverse in the sense of I don't want everything to be connected. Yeah, or at least you're, you... Well, actually, no, I was getting ready to say basically the same thing you said, but with more words. Not everything has to be connected. You can still have things that are broken up a little bit and then have your main connecting thing. Yeah, like how we need more Marvel projects that aren't MCU or MCU-adjacent or MCU-inspired. Honestly, yeah, there would be so much more freedom and creativity there, I feel like, if it didn't have to tie into the MCU. Right? But such is life. Mm. And now for the comic news. <laughs> This is the one thing that stuck out to me, because it seems like a really stupid idea. Oh, boy. We're getting a new Punisher. As in, like, new series of Punisher, or, like, actually a new, like, a, no a new longer Frank Punisher Castle character. Ca Frank Castle's busy in another dimension or something. Wait, I thought Frank Castle was dead. No, what happened was, uh, the Hand brought his wife back from the dead, and... Oh, my God! No, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> they, they use that as leverage to turn him into the beast of the hand, doing all their dirty work and what have you. And then Maria found out okay. about all the shit that he got up to while he was the Punisher, and then shot him and went, Frank, the thing I was going to tell you before we before me and the kids died is that I want a divorce. Jesus Christ. So she takes all of it, because, like, it's So she like, takes his shit? <laughs> yeah, because, like, the whole, the whole shit... The whole shtick they're building to is that Frank was already the Punisher before that ever happened, functionally. No! No, I, I, I see it. I see it. Uh, okay. The idea is that that was there. That was already there. Mm. The, the, the death of his family wasn't what made him the Punisher, it's just what let the Punisher out. Fair. And I could see that. So anyways, uh, he ended up... <laughs> Maria okay, took all, Maria took all of his shit, and then he uh, and then he GTFO'd to another dimension. So now we're getting a new Punisher, and you might think to yourself, "Well, this is an interesting chance to kind of give the Punisher a new spin." And I, I know, I know, I I complain about quite a few of the. Am, am I allowed to make a guess? Uh, yes, go for it. Is it his son? No. Okay, never his mind kids then. are still dead. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was gonna say if his. If his wife can be brought back, then it's like, alright, so what else is gonna happen? And I know I roll my eyes at some of the all-new, all-different upheavals they did a while ago. Like, I'm not a huge fan of Jane Foster Thor in the comics. I'm not a huge fan of... Actually, that's the main one. <laughs> Most of them are fine in concept. It's mostly the execution mm. I didn't really like. Like, Nick Spencer's Sam Wilson Captain America being not radical enough, honestly. 
like mm. going way too centrist to not offend anybody. Oh sort of yeah. Issue. But mm -hmm. th that's nothing about the character himself being a problem. Anyways, uh, this new Punisher, uh, he's an ex, he's a retired Shield Black Ops agent. So basically, a former cop. Or f former military person. I'd say Shield's a bit of both. So yeah, for sort of former military cop who deals with superpowered shit, going okay. on a vigilante killing spree. Oh boy! In 2023. Oh boy! <laughs> I wonder how that goes over. There, there are ways you could salvage this, I think, but mm. most of them involve a radical departure on the kind of crime that the Punisher fights. Like, for example, if you have him going around killing white collar criminals, like fucking callous ass CEOs, mm. that might be something. But you know they yeah. don't have the balls. No, of course not. So it's gonna be here's another ex cop white guy gunning down people on the street because they're criminals. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure they'll be loathsome individuals, but boy howdy, optically speaking, that is not optimal. No, cause best case scenario, it's pretty much the same shit that the Punisher would do, at least in a very, very basic level. Worst case scenario, given current events and current social atmosphere, Kinda brain dead to come up with that, if we're being completely honest. <laughs> One other way they could salvage this, maybe, just maybe, it's a thing of... They're gonna set this guy up like Azrael as Batman, where the whole point is that this is a bad idea, and then Frank comes back and stomps his shit in and takes the title back. But, I don't know that I have that kind of faith, and you could've just also not. I mean, I feel like if they do that, that would just be a cop-out, too. Well, you know what, actually... Giving Frank a reason to make himself look good isn't a bad idea, because part of the reason why they've been easing off the Punisher lately is because the whole symbol and modus operandi have been co-opted by fucking cops. Mm. Which, no. Yeah. No. The creator of the Punisher disagrees with that shit. Yeah, like, the, the person who literally came up with Punisher is just like, no, that's not what Frank is here for. Yeah. Disgusting. Mm. We'll see how this pans out. But in the meantime, we also got to keep moving. So let's get into that famous segment. Do -do 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 -do. Pay your fucking writers! And now actors. So, uh, good news, we're in the clear, as far as this show goes, as far as I can tell. Okay. Reviews are still fine. Excellent. You just can't do paid promos for shit, which, cool, nobody's paying us anyway. Yeah, no. <laughs> but, it's still been a week of ups and downs, and one personal development that... I, I, I'm shaken by. Anyways. Oh, boy. NBC Universal are apparently real pieces of shit. Oh, what did they do this time? Well, they're already being accused of interfering with coercing and restraining employees in the exercise of their rights, including allegedly designated picket locations that were obstructed by construction fencing, resulting in marching in busy streets on which they say two picketers have been struck by cars. I'm sorry, I just realized, I think I know what story this is. <laughs> Not providing barriers to establish pedestrian w walkways, and also, uh, without permits, mm. trimming trees on the strike line. They said they didn't. Si they said it wasn't to deny strikers of shade, but but come on, come on. Come on. That's why they did it. And here's yeah. the real. Here's the real umbrella up the ass of the whole thing. Mm. They were issued a fine for trimming trees without a city permit. Would you uh -oh. like to know how much that fine was? Two thousand dollars. 
You're off by about 90%. It was 250. Which is still nothing. That is literally nothing. Yeah, not for NBC Universal. If I had to pay that, it would be, oh, well, that's, I guess I'm going to have to cut back on takeout this, er, this pay period. <laughs> it's like, like that that's doesn't, literally worth more than me. <laughs> that, a $250 fine doesn't even, like, ruin my life. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> However, on the upside, Los Angeles City Controller said that it was due to outdated laws limiting fine amounts that aren't equitable across offenders, and that he will recommend these laws be reevaluated. So good. Little good. too late, but... But, but hey. Anyways, uh, fuck all that. That's terrible. That is some punk-ass shit. <laughs> let's go to, let's go to a studio that's actually cool. A24. Mm-hmm. Because SAG-AFTRA has granted approval to 39 independent productions to shoot during the strike, which includes two projects from A24, because they confirmed they are not part of the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which are the people who are, you know, withholding all the stuff that the writers and actors want. I mean, I know it's not exactly proof or anything like that, but I've always kind of got that feeling just based on some of the stuff that has the A24 logo on it. For the longest time, I have been kind of under the impression of these people are not part really, like, part of Hollywood, and I'm very glad that that's actually been confirmed, more or less. (laughs) Yeah, so, in getting those waivers, presumably that means they have agreed to the terms, which means they're gonna retroactively abide by whatever agreement is reached. Hmm. So, yeah, great. Good to hear it. This one shakes me to the core, but I will admit that apparently I was wrong. Okay. Because... It sounds like Dwayne Johnson may actually not be a piece of shit after all. <laughs> okay, what did he do? <laughs> he made a seven-figure donation to the sag After Foundation Relief Fund. Hell yeah. Apparently it is the... I'm trying to find the exact wording. Wait, but does that mean that Dwayne Johnson's not part of sag After? He might be. Huh. Does it, it doesn't mean he can't put his money where his mouth is. I mean, fair. Apparently, I think it's the largest single donation they've ever received or something of the such. Okay. So, good for him? Alright, cool. Yeah. Uh, I apologize, sir. I have apparently misjudged you. (laughs) That's just good mojo no matter what. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm still not looking forward to live-action Moana, but... (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, uh, until I have actual evidence, I will need to drop my allegations that The the Rock is a seething douchebag. Alright. Well, that's good. That's encouraging. And I'm also sorry for laughing so hard about Black Adam. I'm not. (laughs) I mean, it was a little funny. Yeah, it probably wasn't as funny as I made it out to be, you know? That's fair. You know what? That's completely fair. Anyways, enough burying the hatchet. I got one Mm. more little bit regarding the strike, and it is that apparently production workers at Warner Brothers Animation and Cartoon Network are now attempting to unionize with the Animation Guild. Hell yeah. Yeah, in the wake of the latest reorganizations, which included quite a few layoffs, so... Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'm really hoping they get that, because fuck corporations. Yeah, at this point in particular. And animators already have it bad enough, as evidenced by Across the Spider-Verse, a movie that... (laughs) I'm not going to say I think less of every time I think about it because of how it mistreated all the animators, apparently, but that certainly doesn't help. Yeah, it's, that's very much one of those cases where that is a hard thing to separate the art from the artist in that aspect, because in this case, the artist is the one being fucked over. Yeah. In any case, we continue to support the SAG-AFTRA and WGA strikes. There are 
places you can link to to help provide, you know, snacks and water for people on the picket lines. I'm actually going to link those in the description here. Mm-hmm. Because it's the literal least I can do. Yeah. Other than donate, which I've done before and probably will do again. But, mm-hmm. spread the love around. Indeed. Let's go to trailer time. Let's do it. It's trailer time again! We've got movie previews to watch! It's trailer time again! So, we did- we had a lot of trailers this week, and we're not going over all of them. The Harley Quinn Mm. trailer? Nah, because we don't need to. Haunted Mansion? No fucking point. It's out next week. Gran Turismo? Because... Neither of us care? Neither of us care enough to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. So, let's- let's go to the- I don't know, what do you want to talk about first? Um, I think for me, the holdovers. Alright. This one I saw in front of Oppenheimer. Uh, same, actually. And there's something about it. It's the it's the older film aesthetic. Yeah, between the title cards, the 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 literal phys, um visual aesthetic of the film and also them having the guy who basically did all the voices for all the trailers in the 80s, 90s and 2000s talking over it. Yeah. I do love it. I love I love all of it together, honestly. Which is really funny because I I don't care much about the premise. I think the premise is kind of cookie-cutter. Yeah. If I'm being completely honest. I am kind of into it more for the aesthetic, but... You've got to tell me twice, because, I mean, one of my favorite JRPGs is Persona 5. Style counts (laughs) for a lot in my book. Yeah, like, the style is what has my attention. (laughs) I think one thing that was kind of funny, just because, for me, it was particularly jarring, was how um, Angus... Um, they're like in the um in like the art museum, and Angus just goes, "It's like so. All you need to do is inject a little bit of pornography and things, and it makes it a lot more interesting." And it cuts to um, I forget the actor's name, but it cuts to the teacher laughing, and then has the whole like family music, oh happy moments, like kind yeah. of cut that you see in a lot of early mid two thousands like romance movies and whatnot. And I'm just like, no, that's not the kind of line that happens before you cut to a cut like that. <laughs> I mean, like, it can be. It can be, as evidenced by this trailer. It's just yeah. a little jarring, because it's usually not what I associate with that kind of transition. But yeah, I mean, the story overall looks cookie-cutter, but I'm still pretty interested in it overall, in all honesty. Interesting presentation doesn't necessarily save a movie, but it certainly does a lot to getting me to want to go see it. Yes, indeed. That's pretty much how I am right now. If it wasn't, if it was like a normally shot trailer, if normal, more modern stylistic takes, I probably would be like, eh, whatever. I would have left it off the list entirely. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess we'll see how that pans out in November, maybe. Mm-hmm. Depends what else is out. <laughs> I might still try to see this one anyway, though. Right. So we also got a new trailer for Migration, and... I'll admit, I also watched this one on YouTube, and the thing that stuck out to me in the YouTube one that I'm glad they left out of the movie preview version is that there's one of those trailer introductions, which I hate, but they go a step further and start with a clip from Minions. (laughs) Yeah, they do. (laughs) Because they're really banking on, we're the guys who made Despicable Me. It's like, guys, I get it! Marvel made Black Panther, and you don't see them including clips for Black Panther in front of a trailer for the Marvels, do you? I mean, I feel like they could have... Something that would have, if they wanted to do that, would have been better, just because of how well-received it is and how I still hear people talk about it regularly, is that they could have just had a clip from the Mario movie in front instead. They could have did that! Yeah, and that would have been better. Yeah. And 
and also like not nearly as annoying as minions are at this point. <laughs> God, I hate them. Mm. I I still have not seen Minions Rise of Brew ever since I bamboozled you both into thinking that I had seen Minions Rise of Brew. <laughs> that was funny. I was like, oh, oh, what's happening here? <laughs> I was very proud of that bamboozle. I will stand by that one until the day I die. I want it on my tombstone. I pranked my friends into thinking I saw Minions too. No, I probably want something more important than that. Like, I am Kenna, but we'll get into that. Or I protect my friends into killing Greg on Among Us. <laughs> oh, that one was great. Uh, God, well I wish I'd recorded that. Well done. Go fuck yourself. Uh yep. I'll see you in hell, friendo. Anyways, migration. <laughs> Much like Illumination, I love to talk about the movie itself. No, I'm kidding. This looks pretty alright. This looks pretty good. It, it, looks, it looks fun. It looks family-oriented. And it looks... It, and it's something at least a little bit newish. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, as far as premises go for kids' movie, I'm shocked it took this long for family of birds go and migrate to a city and then get completely hopelessly lost. Hilarity ensues. I'm sure there was probably at least one, maybe just not with as much attention. Yeah. Because <sighs> I mean, it probably. wasn't made by the people who made Minions! Yeah, just, fuck. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. It looks it looks fun. It looks cute. Couple things that stuck out for me: uh, duck a la range. What's that? It's you with la range on top. <laughs> it's like, oh, we got puns now, All right? <laughs> and the pigeon with and the pigeon who's voiced by Aquafina getting hit by a bus. Going, nope, still okay. Ducks another one. Ha! You missed me. Gets hit by a scooter. Oh, that was Aquafina. I'm pretty sure that was Aquafina. I mean, I believe you. It's just that's not who I thought. I mean, I didn't really have an idea of who it was, but that's not what I would have expected. Who, who else would it be? I don't know. <laughs> I guess for whatever reason, Aquafina doesn't pop up, but I keep on forgetting that she actually is very good at the whole full energy, like sassy voice type style. <laughs> yeah. Also, Kumail Nanjiani is the dad duck, so hmm. instant love. Kingo favorite eternal. <laughs> right. Well, okay, he's one of my favorites. It's hard it, it it's so hard between him and Druid, you know? Mm-hmm. I like Eternals. I don't give a fuck what anybody else says. <laughs> and you know I'm not a Marvel shill because I hated Thor Love and Thunder just like half the people who saw it. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I there's things I'm looking forward to less than migration. Mm-hmm. Like Dear David. <laughs> Oh, this movie can go fuck off. <laughs> what a stupid fucking concept. Yeah, what an absolute nothing burger of a movie. Long story short, it's it's a pretty, I'd say it's a pretty by-the-books horror, horror film style. And it's one of those things like, that wouldn't be horrible on its own. What kills it for me is when it goes inspired by actual events. And I actually had to look this up after I watched the show. I was like, what real events is this? Because this is all like ghost shit and horror stuff. None of this actually happens. And then it's like... It's apparently based on a thread that a dude made, I think it was either on BuzzFeed's forums or on Twitter. I don't think it was on Twitter itself, but it was like talking about his experiences with a ghost in his house. And apparently after that thing came out, because the whole story got the dude like a million subscribers on Twitter and all that, BuzzFeed then went, oh, we're going to make a movie out of this. And the guy went, it's like, I'm not trying to convince people that this happened. I just wanted to tell my experiences. It's like, fuck off. Yeah. No, I totally believe this all happened. Mm. 
Mr. Former BuzzFeed employee. Yeah, no, like, this... Who's got BuzzFeed Studios making the movie? Yeah, I was kind of like, oh, wait, is this going to be one of those things where BuzzFeed makes fun of itself? It's like, ah, no, it's not. I'm disappointed Uh. in you, Lionsgate, (laughs) distributing this. We thought you were better than this. Yeah, you gave us four John Wicks. Hmm. And they were all good! And they were all good. Disappointing. No, this looks not scary and just horrifically inane. Yeah, no, I mean, that I think that's the unfortunate thing about it, too, is that it is very by the books, at least based on what's shown in the trailer. For me, at least, I personally don't think that's even that bad overall. Because, like, by the books, horror can still be extremely entertaining. It really is just the whole thing of, like, it coming off as being, like, unnecessarily meta while also doing the whole inspired by true events thing. It's like, all right, that just completely takes me out of it. All right, I'm gonna head out. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah, for real. But since it's coming out in October, I'll probably see it anyway. Mm. I have I have determined that any time that is not spent on work or any of my various side hustles <sighs> will be horror movie. That's well, fair. Okay, work, side hustles, or ongoing social engagements. Any free time I have, horror movie! Yeah. I'm doing it. We also got a trailer for A Haunting in Venice. Yeah, I am significantly more interested in this now than I was with the first trailer. I honestly found the first trailer a little more interesting, but this one's still continuing why I was interested in it, because it feels... I feel like we don't really get a lot of horror mysteries anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like... I don't want to say Scooby-Doo took all the wind out of those sails, but I feel like if you get a horror mystery now, there's going to be at least some Scooby-Doo references. Yeah. But this obviously predated, well, I shouldn't say predate, because it probably doesn't, because Scooby-Doo's actually been around for a fucking long time. Yeah, no. But since presumably this will not have any of that, but will still, because I, I can't imagine any of the Hercule Poirot novels had a real, actual, supernatural twist, so there's gotta be something going on here. Oh, so this is based on a novel series. Yeah, no, it's it's from, it's the same, it's the guy who's the protagonist on Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, no, this is, that's Hercule Poirot, played by Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> is this still, is this related to the respective movies, then? Is this all part of the same, like, timeline there? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Because it's the same guy playing... It's Kenneth Branagh playing Hercule Poirot, I think, and also directing. Oh, okay. Alright, then cool. That's interesting. Also, Michelle Yeoh's in it. Mich- I mean, I I think Michelle Yeoh is the main reason I even have any interest in this. And Tina Fey. And Tina Fey. Oh, yeah. This movie serves... I just had to look this up real quick. I'm sorry. Serves as a sequel to Murder on the Orient Express in 2017 and 2022's Death on the Nile. All right. I still haven't seen either of those. I've seen the original Murder on the Orient Express, which I like quite a bit, and that's about it. The main thing I remember about Murder on the Orient Express is all the memes that came after the first trailer of people putting in increasingly more unfitting music to the end of the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... No, this looks sufficiently spooky. Way creepier than Dear David. Oh yeah, 100%. And it's out in September, so it even gets out earlier. Yeah, indeed. And then, the main event, I think, at least for me, based on my interests, we got another trailer for the Marvels. Yes, yes we did. Except for the villain I like most of this. And it's not even, it's not the villain's motivation I have a problem with. Their design is boring. 
Yeah, their design is a little uninspiring, I feel like. Especially because apparently they're another accuser like Ronan was from Guardians of the Galaxy. And, like, Ronan had the personality of a cinder block, but the dude looked intimidating. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, even, like, young Ronan still looked pretty ac- intimidating in Captain R- Marvel. Were you gonna say accusatory? <laughs> accusatory? <laughs> no. I'm disappointed that you weren't, but go on. I mean, I don't know, it's just, when the the antagonist is like, you took everything from from me or from my people, it's like, no, that was the guardians who did that now no no they're talking about because presumably this is following up on how carol was like i'm coming for you Cree supreme intelligence and then it skipped ahead 20 30 years so we never saw it oh i completely forgot about that that's fair she she basically (laughs) went on a crusade against the Kree empire in that time she might have been part of why the Kree made a truce with xandar in the first place Mm, okay i think it would be really funny if what's her name darben the villain i can't remember her name goes yeah you took everything from me, and then Carol just goes, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Terrible, but funny. Yes. Anyways, the main reason I'm looking forward to this one is, I'll admit, it's Kamala Khan. It's, it's Amal Oh yeah, It is amazing how... I it's she's, it's she draws me in just because of how she always looks like completely like out of place in everything going on. There's Carol, and then there's... Oh, what's her name? Monica. Monica, thank you. There's Carol, and there's Monica, who are, like, to varying degrees, kind of used to everything that's going on and know what to do. And then there's Kamala, who's, like, simultaneously, like, freaking out because she's like, oh, this is amazing, and freaking out because all this... I am having the most terrifying time of my life. Yeah. (laughs) I, I still love the bit at the end of the trailer where she teleports with Goose, and Goose just eats the two guards coming after her. She just goes, screams, Oh my god! I'm just like, Nah, I can't argue against that. No, <laughs> that's, that's real, that's that real shit. <laughs> that's, that is the realest shit I have ever seen in, <laughs> from a teenager in these movies. <laughs> I would probably freak out the same way as well. Okay, also, I know I just gave Darben's costume a lot of shit. Why is Carol's costume so fucking dull? Hmm. It looks even worse in comparison to Kamala's, which is bright and looks really good. Hers is just... Carol's is just, like, washed out. Yeah. Like she ran it through the machine too many times, and now it's just faded. (laughs) I hope she gets a better one. Yeah. I know this is an extremely minor thing in the context of the trailer at a greater value, but I got very annoyed with how they cut up Intergalactic um, in the second half of the trailer. (laughs) Huh. Didn't even notice. No, for me it... I mean, I'll probably have to watch the trailer again, but for me, it sounded like the bits that they edited to make it, like, more punchy with, like, some of the fight scenes and all that were completely off, were, like, one step behind how the song normally goes, and it was very jarring for me. Uh. But that is an extremely minor nitpick, I will fully acknowledge that. Oh, also, weird line in the context of the trailer, at least. It probably makes sense in the movie itself, but it was a weird line to include for the trailer. Was Carol going? They're going to just. Dis- they're, they're threatening every planet we ever called home. And it's like, okay, for two out of three of you, that is one planet. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, three out of three of you share that one planet. Yeah. For I know real. you've been around the universe, but that's kind of weird. Unless she's talking to other people. There have been some scrolls spotted, so that might have been part of it. Yeah. God, next week I have to probably include, like, a minor 
run through of Secret Invasion. Not spoiler wise, but what I thought of it, I'm not looking forward to it. Oh boy. Oh, I'll get into that later. Anyways, I'm I'm excited for the Marvels. Oh yeah, same. Some of the later latest projects haven't been quite as hit, but they still made Guardians three. Yeah. Like for yeah. as much as everybody's like, oh, is Marvel falling off? Shut the fuck up. They made Guardians three. How the yeah. fuck? How? Yeah. Look it, me in the eye. Yeah, they're they're still fine. They may, they might not have all the juices they they had before, but they're still more than fine. Yeah. It's like, did we all forget that just in twenty twenty two, Doctor Strange two made just shy of a billion? Yeah. Eh? Yeah. No. Of course we all forgot. <laughs> it's, the, it's the it's it's the box office press cycle. Every single one of us has the attention span of a goldfish. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Case in point, let's get into this weekend's box office, which you'll all forget about as soon as I go over it. But here yeah. I am anyway. We did see the highest grossing movie this weekend, which and which was it was Barbie. Okay, took in one hundred sixty-two million dollars domestically this weekend, and in total. For a $356.3 million worldwide total against, guess the budget. Isn't it like 155? 145, but okay, we were close. Yeah. Thanks for playing. Yeah, no, I remember reading that. I was like, all right, so first weekend already making a profit. Well, <laughs> maybe. Maybe, because apparently marketing costs were extravagant. That's not surprising. No. Yeah. However, with legs like these and legs like Margot Robbie's, if you'll come the food <laughs> I make no apologies. Hmm. I'll apologize a little bit. Right. Margot Robbie is also a phenomenal actress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I almost I almost spoiled the Barbie joke, and I'm real glad I did. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. I know which one you were thinking of, but I was thinking about it too. <laughs> Anyways, um... And, and I'm... Oh, I'm sorry, were you still talking about Barbie? <laughs> yeah, I'm still talking about Barbie's box office, because it's actually the highest grossing opening for a female director in history, and, most notably... Yep, it's the highest grossing opening for this year, and also the highest grossing opening for any movie that isn't a sequel, remake, or superhero movie. If you take really? out superhero movie... It's still third highest, because the only two that beat it that weren't a sequel or remake are Black Panther and Captain Marvel. Huh. So, even then, I'd say they're not direct sequels, but they still benefited very much, and obviously they benefited from broadening the demographic of the MCU's lead characters. But I think there was also something to be said for the fact that they were the first, or they were the last movies to come out before Infinity War and Endgame, respectively. Pretty sure that helped a little bit. Yeah, that helps a good bit. So... Barbie's really the highest grossing one that didn't have help from any pre-existing franchise. Like, it's still an IP, it's still something that existed prior to the movie, but still. Yeah. I'm going to assume that we also saw the second highest grossing film of the weekend. (laughs) You are correct, because it was Oppenheimer. Mm Mm-hmm. $82.4 million domestically this weekend and in total for a $180.4 million worldwide total against, I can't believe this one, a $100 million budget. Really? Yeah! I am su- surprised by that, because I know that this movie, in no unusual style, has a lot of practical effects. And to a certain degree, that stops getting cheap very quickly. <laughs> Doesn't it just? Yeah. So, yeah, very pleased. I think Oppenheimer's initial box office projections had it at about, like, um, $45 million for this weekend. Yeah, I think I was seeing like 40 mostly. So, very good, very impressive. It's it it's astounding that these two movies have made so much 
in this one weekend post-pandemic. It's an interesting talking point because one of the things that I've seen talked about is that besides these being two very excellent movies in their own right, a lot of people have been really paying attention to and noticing how, because of the power of the internet, I kind of hate to see if I'm honest, the social aspect of these two completely jarringly opposite movies happening on the same weekend did a lot to also bring in a lot of attention. My only fear with that, although I don't think it's really going to happen just because it would be extremely difficult to pull this kind of thing off on purpose again, but my only concern for that would be different Hollywood things trying to make that kind of thing a more regular event. Oh, they're probably already trying. There's a new thing going around pointing out that Saw 10 and the Paw Patrol sequel are coming out in the same weekend and calling it Saw Patrol. No, (laughs) no. Okay, that name is pretty great. That is pretty amazing. What a stupid idea, right? (laughs) It's so stupid, because it's like, no. These two movies had so much more going for them besides subject matter and what they were focusing on. It's not just the idea. It has to be other things, too. Yeah. I don't see Saw Patrol. That is amazing. And yet, somehow, (laughs) Barbie and Oppenheimer are not as diametrically opposed as I would have expected, but we'll get into that later. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Third place, it was Sound of Freedom. $19.8 million domestic weekend for a $124.4 million worldwide total. It did see a drop this weekend, so I'm inclined to think that might have been actual people seeing it. Okay. (laughs) But I'm sure some of it was still done through the Pay It Forward app. Yeah. Which, hey, whatever. Hmm. Fourth place, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, $19.3 million domestic weekend for a $118.6 million domestic total and $370.7 million worldwide. That is a $291 million budget, though, and it was a roughly, I think, 62% drop. Oof. So, uh... Good luck. (laughs) I did not genuinely think that Mission Impossible was going to run into a problem against Barbenheimer, but here we are. I'm pretty sure I saw a thing where even, like... Tom Cruise was like, no, I, I've, like, bought tickets to both of these movies, and I encourage other people to as well. Yep. <laughs> and then fifth place, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny for a $6.6 million domestic weekend, $158.9 million domestic total, and $335.9 million worldwide against that staggering $294 million budget. Yeah, no. Not counting marketing. <laughs> yeah, that's, unfortunately, that's, it's not looking good for Dr. Jones. Nope. Let's talk about Oppenheimer. Yeah, I was going to say Oppenheimer is probably the better of the two to open with. (laughs) I am, especially because, like, there's only so many spoilers we can do because most of it's a matter of historical record. Yeah. To some extent. Obviously, with any historical movie, especially historical drama, there's going to be, like, some Hollywooding it up, but... Some some embellishment. Almost everything on here, at least as far as the things that I know of that are period, is period. These are things that actually happen from the test to the gathering of scientists to the security hearing everything that happened in the movie is for real and it's a matter of historical fact so can't really spoil something that actually happened especially something that happened 60 plus years ago yeah i will say i'm very surprised and i'll get into this a little bit more on the barbie side of things but out of the two i would sooner go see oppenheimer again No, I'm the same way. And that's not a dig against Barbie. No, not in the slightest. Oppenheimer, for me, is such an experience. The the movie is... It's like, I can't even really, like, in good conscience, call it, like, a worthy, like, movie or film. It is truly an experience. 
because it doesn't even just go into the thing like Oppenheimer and the Los Alamos laboratory and everything involved with the Y Project and the Manhattan Project did. Even beyond that, the movie goes harder than it needs to in a lot of places, and it doesn't take away from the significance of the story that it's telling and the person that's focused on. I do genuinely believe that, because I keep on thinking about it, it's like, has there been anything else that I would rather see? But in terms of an overall package, this is probably the best movie I've ever seen, because it's one of those movies where... With the subject matter that's going on being like, you know, the creation of the nuclear weapon and everything that came out from it, it's very easy for that kind of thing to go into dad territory, like dad movie territory. Yeah. And that goes with things like, oh, what was the Tom Hanks, like, U2 disaster movie? Whatever the name of that movie is, that, Hacksaw Ridge, even though I enjoy it quite a bit and love the movie bits, I do overall consider Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick in particular more in that category. Hmm. I'd say especially Maverick. Yeah, especially Maverick goes into that category. It would be really easy for this movie to go into that just because of like the focus of it all and because it is ultimately a movie about the creation of the nuclear bomb and how we dropped it on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It would be very easy for it to kind of go into that aspect, but it also does not in any capacity dull away from the significance both positive to a very limited extent. And mostly negative <laughs> yeah. that came from that. Surprise, surprise, the creation of the weapon that literally changed, not even in terms of conjecture, literally changed the world as we know it and how our entire world works. Some bad shit that came from that. And the movie respects it in a way that I am genuinely astounded by. And it also shows the genuine horror of it all. And especially how that horror and everything that came from it impacted Oppenheimer and the people around him, and the government, and everything else. And I love this movie for that, because I consider it one of the best movies I've ever seen, because the entire package and everything inside of the package is wound super tight, without anything unnecessarily leaking out for the most part. So... The only way this movie doesn't end up in my top ten at the end of the year is if somehow eight or nine more absolute perfect bangers come out. And I doubt that's happening. So Yeah, no. I straight up immediately, after I left the theater, which I left my theater in a daze, by the way. I was very depressed. <laughs> this is a really amazing movie, but if you are... I, I had hoped that if you're listening to this, you are a relatively sane and or decent human being. If you are either of those two, you will be very depressed. <laughs> yeah, I walked out in a little bit of a fog. Yeah, like, I walked out days, but in that days, I was just kind of going, I, I have to have this on my shelf. And I want to point out, I want to point out that, obviously, you know, this was the Greg movie. Yes. <laughs> but, I want to point out that I also feel like my praise should be seen as significant, because, in the, in the sense of, I was very much looking more forward to Barbie. Like, that is a matter <laughs> of record. It is all yes. over this podcast. I was like, I really <laughs> want to go see Barbie. Maybe I'll go see Oppenheimer. I'm still not entirely sold. I'm not 100%. I want to see it. It's so long. Mm -hmm. It's good. The it fact so that good. I would sooner watch this one than Barbie, part of that's, like I said, we'll get into it, but that is some of the highest praise I can muster on a movie. Yeah. 
And I don't want to get into the thing that we've done the last few times of like summing up the movie. Because no. For the love of Christ, just go and see it. Yes, it is long. I don't. The movie's three fucking hours. Yeah. And, and there's a point when the bomb test happens. And I'll admit, I checked my, I checked my phone a few times for the time to get a sense mm-hmm. of where we we're at. And when the bomb test happened, I looked at my phone and went, there's still how much of this movie left? Oh, dear. <laughs> what is the rest of this? Um, If I can kind of stick with the bomb test a little bit, I really, I think everything about the bomb test, as far as leading from the creation of the Trinity test bomb to the actual bomb test, that was amazing in a lot of different ways. Kind of a jump from what you were talking about, and I do apologize for no, that. No, it's fine. But... For a few things, because, hey, if you look up pictures online of the Trinity test bomb, or at least the makeup of it, because I, I think it's one of those things where the test bomb is still classified, so we don't really know what it looks like. But from the pictures that have been sh- that have been shown to people's, like, mock-ups of it, it's pretty bang on to that. And they do a good job of making this bomb terrifying. And it's the thing is, like, this thing is terrifying, and it's not even the final product. It is literally, in the sense of sometimes with like how with like sci-fi movies, how the horror element with like how certain pieces of technology look, or if there's mechs, sometimes they either draw or dress up mechs in a way to make them terrifying. The Trinity test bomb is really a big black ball with just wires and cables and all other things just like protruding out of it. And it's never really shown at any point in like full light. Like you never really get a perfect good look of it but it's always dark it's always very intimidating the trinity bomb even though it is literally an inanimate object has every scene that it's in where especially it's like the scene with it with the bomb and oppenheimer the bomb is the thing that commands attention it really does have a sort of horrifying frankensteinian mishmash vibe to it yeah and every time like it was in a room or on a set or in a scene it's like that was the thing that commanded my attention more than Oppenheimer himself, more than any of the scientists around it or talking to it. Nolan does a wonderful job really showing, because you know what it is. You know exactly what this is. And so that in itself really sells to how terrifying it is. And also, I think this is the first time I've ever seen a movie where I've gotten anxiety about an historical event that I know what happens you at know, the end. <laughs> you mentioned that when we were talking about it afterward, and same when that countdown was happening for the test, I was genuinely concerned about something going wrong. Yeah. Knowing and it's just like, even <laughs> even knowing in the back of my head this is going to be successful because they still have to drop it on Japan twice. In less than a month's time. Because, like, the Trinity test takes place in the middle of July, and if I remember correctly, Hiroshima and Nagasaki happened in, like, the first or second week of August. Right, because VJ Day's in August, I know that. Yeah, so it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you you, you fucking know what's going to happen. Because if it fails, they're not going to get that thing up and running, fix it, test it, and then bomb Japan in three weeks. That nah. is not how that works, especially not by the standards of 1945, even with like all of America's industrial might on this project. So, But the countdown and the different shots and the lighting and all of that is one of those things where it's like, at a certain point, I'm just like, why am I getting extreme anxiety when I know what's going to happen? (laughs) And I also want to say, to your point about how the Trinity Bomb always commands your attention when it's on screen, Mm -hmm. that's no small feat. Because, and we haven't really said anything about it up until now, every single performance in this is brilliant. 
yes, everyone, even the performances of like people who are on the screen for like, five minutes is perfect. <laughs> everyone is giving it 100%. These are some of the best performances I've seen from actors who I already know are amazing. Yeah. Holy fuck, they have Remy Malek in the movie for probably altogether ten minutes. And in the very end where they're having the hearing with Strauss, where Remy Malek shows up as a witness, he is perfect. He's perfect, and he's only there for like a few minutes. And it's like, one of those things was like, yes, Remy Malek is a wonderful, dedicated actor, and I wouldn't expect anything less of him. But it is just something where it's like, even the small people who are, well, the relatively small actors who are there for, like, a few minutes do a great job. Because even though I love Remy Malek, it is still Remy Malek versus Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh. <laughs> I, it's also crazy how there are a lot of people here who I recognize from a lot of things. Yeah. And yet, at no point, like, when, when Robert Downey Jr.'s on there as Louis Strauss, I don't ever get Iron Man vibes. I don't ever oh, get yeah. Polka Dot Man vibes from Dave Desmalchin. I don't ever get solo vibes from Alden Ehrenreich. They vanish into the characters that they're doing. I want to say the one that did it for me in that aspect was how was how Josh Peck is in the movie, cast as Kenneth Br um, Bainbridge. I don't even know who, who that was. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I unfortunately don't really know a lot about him, but if I'm thinking of the right person... He was the person who was in charge of pressing the um the abort button in case something went wrong. That was Josh Peck? I believe so. Jesus Christ! Now I have to rewatch this movie just so I could do just so I could do a spot the actor, for fuck's sake. Unfortunately, there was one other actor who I don't know who exactly they are. I know he was someone who was like one of um um Oppenheimer's students. But there was one actor who I'm just like I know you're not Josh Peck, but holy fuck, you look a lot like him. <laughs> you know who else is in this movie that's crazy? Mm -hmm. Kenneth Broadog is Niels Bohr, and David Krumholtz is Robbie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bernard from the Santa Claus and Joel Glicker from Adam's Family Values is Robbie. <laughs> Didn't even hit me. I was like, David Krumholtz is in this movie? Who is that? He was that guy? What the fuck? <laughs> Astounding. Anyways, I hate, I'm sorry to divert from that tangent, but I just felt like it needed to be said. This is a phenomenally acted movie. Everybody yeah. in this deserves an Oscar now. <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh god, there's so many things. So, I think the last thing, because I could genuinely talk about this movie forever, and I don't know how much more you have to say about it, I, but, or how much more you have to say about it that's, like, reasonable to just, like, gush about, but... The way that Christopher Nolan plays with the effects of everything that's happening in Oppenheimer's head is astounding and, like, genuinely terrifying in a lot of ways. The first instance of that is, like, during the bit in the security hearing where it's talking about Oppenheimer's affair with Gene Tatlock. And they do this wonderful camera pan because Oppenheimer's oh, in, the, that one. In, the, in the hearing with, like, you know, a full suit and everything on because... Now it's talking about his affair with Tatlock, who was a member of the American Communist Party before Oppenheimer, or while Oppenheimer was part of the Manhattan Project. And it cuts to a camera pan of the um, hearing members, like, questioning and interrogating Oppenheimer. Is this a spoiler? I feel it like because be. this one's not part of the record, like, 
the, the, the conversation is, but the what they yeah. do with the scene, I feel like, is a spoiler. You know what? That's fair. Suffice it to say, it does a good job being really unsettling. Yes. And then there's that. Okay, so yeah, I'll just leave it at that for yes. that then. Because I, I, I figured there's not really, like, since most of this is historical, I figured we just do a non-spoiler section and then move on. Yeah. The affair is public knowledge. Yeah. Oppenheimer's affair is very much public knowledge. How they actually. use that affair to frame the to frame its place in the interrogation is It's brilliant. It's that and also the scene later on when Oppenheimer announces to everyone that's at Los Alamos about the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Ooh, I love that one so much. I was gonna mention it if you didn't. Obviously I don't want to talk about how they do it. But it's unsettling. It was the point very... where the movie clicked for me as, oh, this is great. This isn't just really good. This is great. Yeah, and there's like one particular bit. I'm sure you know. I'm sure you can probably guess the bit I'm talking about, where I I like actually like jumped in my seat and I was just like, oh fuck this. Yeah. Fuck this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like I love this movie, but fuck this movie. <laughs> I think I know which one. Yeah. No, this. This movie honestly hit me with more like an abstract sense of guilt and existential anxiety upon realizing that I, I, I'm bringing this up because I, I, I'm going to draw a direct comparison with Barbie later. Mm -hmm. This movie's sense of existential dread is very abstract for me because it's a sense of, oh, this entire society that you and I and our generation, and I honestly I think you could even count the generation before us, Mm -hmm. grew up in and owes our existence to is directly a byproduct of this horrible completely avoidable event that yeah. that everybody went in trying to frame as unavoidable and maybe it was at the start but by the end, by the point where it happened completely could have been averted you didn't have to do it but the society we live in now owes its existence to that terrible thing and I suppose, in a sense, that's true about just about any other historical atrocity. But it really hits home in a in an unsettling way, and I'm honestly shaking a little bit right now thinking about it. No, like, it's one of those things where, I'm not going to get really deep into it because we don't have time for this, but the way I've always viewed the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki is that it was never, ever, ever a good option, but it was the best option. Because there were definitely ways to avoid it. I think realistically it wouldn't have played out nearly as well in terms of long-term things. But of course, the thing that came with that is that even though I am generally anti-war, I guess to a certain degree I could say I'm pro-defense, but anti-war, if that makes sense. Sometimes you just gotta slap a Nazi. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. Or kick them out of a plane. Yeah! Um, <laughs> but like, freaking... Sorry, you're a Nazi. Yeah, I cannot think of any other piece of technology that legitimately changed the world, like, not even in the general sense of, like, oh, this changes the world. No, I mean, like, actually changes the world. Changes how, like, international governments interact with each other, how we talk to each other, how we go about our daily lives, the technologies that we use because of that. There has been no single piece of technology that has changed the world more than the creation of the atomic weapon. And Robert Oppenheimer became acutely aware of that very quickly. And he was completely distraught by it. Like, initially after the bomb happened and all that, 
He was pretty cool with it. And to be fair, as terrible as it might sound, the nuclear weapon, at least at the time it came out, was probably one of the most astounding pieces of technology ever created. Yeah. But he became very aware extremely quickly of all the consequences that came with that. And the man is like basically spent the last part of his life just being like, I am literally a monster. I cannot believe I've created this. I cannot put... The man was literally beside himself with what he had done. It was for the service of his country. I don't think that can ever be debated. But later on, he truly regretted that he created the nuclear bomb. And they also make a... That's a good point that, like, yes, there were actual reasons to get into this. But at least some of it seems like it was ego. Yeah. Not tremendous ego. Like, not in the sense of, ah, yes, it has to be me. But in the sense of, somebody's got to do this, it may as well be me. I have I have mm. one of the best shots at this. And cuz I don't want to portray him as an egomaniac because the movie doesn't and I don't think that's entirely fair. Yeah. But it was a factor. Oh no, for sure. I the the general like just I've always gotten from Oppenheimer, at least in the light reading I've done about him over the years and all that is that I always kind of picked him as he was one of those people that always knew he was the smartest person, but he didn't announce that he was the smartest person and he would go as like I know I'm the smartest person in this room, but that doesn't mean that the people around me are stupid. Mm. One thing I kind of picked up is that when other scientists had conversations with him, he was known for being, like, stubborn and and a little bit hard to get from, like, hard to move from what he thought was correct. But he would be more than willing to hear somebody out if they have an idea on, like, how to create the atomic bomb and would always spend time, like, bouncing ideas with other scientists and physicists about what the correct course of action needs to be going forward. Right. Yeah, that tracks with what I with, with the movie. Yeah. No, this was this was absolutely phenomenal. I cannot recommend seeing this enough. Just know it is going to kind of It is going to jade you. In a best case scenario, it will leave you feeling a little weird inside. Yeah. <laughs> and very truly best case scenario. If you can't put your finger on it, it's probably that abstract feeling of anxiety that you owe the existence of the society you live in to this terrible thing that happened. Yeah. But it might be something else. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. Yeah, no. No, this movie's great. I I am... Um, I, I, I genuinely don't buy movies physically very often. Like, even though I loved it and talked about it with Maverick, I still never picked up a physical copy of Maverick. I plan on getting a physical copy of this. Oh, yeah. If there's a steelbook that's not absurdly expensive... I might spring for the steelbook, but at very minimum, I'm getting the Blu-ray for this, like, as soon as possible. And I also want to point out, I've been sassing Nolan quite a bit lately, and with some of his comments, especially especially around, like, 2021, or, t- no, wait, was it 2020? Either way, around when Tenet came out, I think it was, yeah. I, I think some of the shit that I talked was deserved. However, and I'll admit of his movies that I've seen, I'm not blown away by most of them, and I haven't seen all of them, so I need to fix that at some point. This is the first one where I sat back and went, oh, he genuinely is really good at this, huh? Yeah. I don't want to spend too much time on it because I think we've already talked about Oppenheimer and Muff, but holy shit, this man actually knows how to do practical effects. Yeah. And I am so, so happy that he didn't do Tenant-style audio mixing. (laughs) Thank God. I could actually understand what happened in this movie. Yeah, like fucking holy shit. Because the the two of us were originally going to see it the same night, but then I got a headache at work. And I was like, no, no, I went through Tenet. I think I will actually kill myself if I sit through this movie 
which is going to center on testing a nuclear bomb with a headache for three hours. You this probably would have died, because don't get me wrong, <laughs> the sound editing's better than Tenet, but when it was to be loud, it's fucking loud. It's loud as fuck. It is loud as all hell. Yeah. And it's bright as hell, too. That, too. There's a lot of flashing lights and all that. But, man, this this man is good at practical effects. I joked about it previously, but I remember him saying it's like, I've never had so much fun just setting off a whole bunch of, like, controlled explosions. And it shows in this movie. You know the great thing I just realized? Hmm. Uh, assuming this stays on both of our top ten lists for the year, which I'm sure it will, we can gush about this way later once everybody's seen it. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Shall we get into Barbie? That's bad phrasing. <laughs> Shall we switch tracks to Barbie? Yeah, let's switch tracks to Barbie. <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay, so for all the praise that I've been that I've been harping on Oppenheimer, I, mm. I I cannot stress enough that Barbie is also a magnificent movie. Barbie is amazing. Barbie is when I when I say I I would watch Oppenheimer again first, it's by two percent. The slimmest percent. of margins. Yeah, it's by the slimmest of margins. It's by two percent, and it's literally just that like Barbie has so many more ups and downs that it's genuinely a little bit more draining for me mm -hmm. but this was phenomenal the this is another one where it's got a great cast all of whom absolutely knock it out of the park but in a completely different way than oppenheimer where everybody in oppenheimer really grounds it and is very like even even in the funny moments it's it's a little more solemn barbie is always over the top in the yeah. best possible way everything about it is just so comedically exaggerated in the most effective way it possibly can be that mm -hmm. the whole thing coalesces. This is one of the most meta movies I've seen in a long time. It's so <laughs> meta that it loops back around into being patently obvious and then circles back and it's full meta again. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are probably going to get on this movie because it's very obvious and it's very outspoken in what it's about. Yeah. But I feel like it wouldn't be nearly as effective if it wasn't as in your face. Oh, yeah. Because the thing is, I knew this movie, uh, almost every movie is about something in the sense that, you know, all movies, most movies have an emotional or thematic or symbolic through line that connects the events mm -hmm. or characters that you're witnessing. But some movies are more about that through line than others. Yeah, like every piece of media, whether it be movie, game, TV, song, or whatever, even if it's not directly noticeable, there's always going to be some kind of overarching theme or thread or political leaning or what have you. And the thing there is, I'm not overly familiar with Greta Gerwig's work, which I now need to fix immediately. Yeah, same. <laughs> but I do know she's, this is going to sound really stupid, she's one of those directors who makes movies that are very much about things. So I yeah. knew Barbie was going to be about something. I kind of guessed it was going to be about the thing that it's about. I didn't guess it was going to go so fucking hard. <laughs> but it's just... Oh, it's it's another one that's so hard to talk about without... This one's hard to talk about without spoiling it, and we're kind of going to have to to really sing its praises, but... Mm -hmm. Oh, man. The... The, the craziest thing about the movie I can say that's not that I don't think is a major spoiler is that most of the marketing you've seen for this movie is the first, like, half 
Yeah, and it does not do the movie justice at the same time either. This movie takes a swerve, not even in the direction you might be expecting. A swerve beyond that. The swerve you're expecting it to take, <laughs> probably, that's first act bullshit. That's nothing. <laughs> that's the appetizer. It's the kind of swerve that not even an electric early 50s Corvette can handle. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of swerve where you just start falling asleep on the highway. Follow it up by the part where you shake it off, decide that you're fine, and then five minutes later actually fall asleep at the wheel. <laughs> Little dark? Well, you know what? In some weird ways, so is Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> and Barbie gets more than a little dark on in more than one occasion. <laughs> yeah, when I say- This movie leaves me with a muted but still intrinsically similar sense of discomfort, guilt, anxiety, and existential uncertainty. And I think yeah. that's amazing- Considering that half of it is wacky fucking nonsense. <laughs> and that this is all carried and the vehicle for all of this existentialism is, at the end of the day, a doll. Right? <laughs> it's like literally, the movie doesn't do the whole thing of like pretending. It's like, no, Barbie is, at the end of the day, and the movie establishes this, a fucking doll. And they do just a great job using that as a vehicle for everything going on. Huh. And, and again, this is another one. Everybody's phenomenal in it. Mm -hmm. And again, way more out there than Oppenheimer, but... Because, I mean, Margot Robbie, <laughs> perfect. Absolutely yes. perfect for, th for this Barbie that she is portraying. And Ryan Gosling is perfect for the Ken that he is portraying. God, he's so hot. <laughs> I make no... Like, okay... No, no, I'm 100% with you. Good fucking god. <laughs> yeah. Kennergy. <laughs> no, like... <laughs> Apparently people were saying it's like, oh, Ryan Gosling can't be Ken, he's like too, too old, old for this. That. No. It's like, no, 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 go see this movie, bake him an apology cake, and shut the fuck up. <laughs> but you got, you got Kate McKinnon, you got Issa Rae, Alexandra Shipp. Hari Neff really pissing off all the people who were already going to hate this movie. <laughs> Which, you, you know, that's the funny thing. Everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but, you know, the usual suspects. The ones who hate the Barbie movie for being a Barbie movie. And mm -hmm. for also, it's, and also for the message it's trying to say, which just shows that their media literacy is in the fucking gutter. Yeah. Throwing a big fit about Dr. Barbie being played by a transgender actress. And, you know, the funny thing, I had to look up who it was after watching the movie. Couldn't tell. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Genuinely did not know that. Okay. Dr. Barbie, uh, Hari Neff. The redhead, what with they did the glasses distraction. I can say yeah. it without really spoiling it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I had no idea she was transgender. Yeah, me neither. Because it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> no, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> Ultimately. So, <laughs> yeah, for all, for all the fucking babies freaking out about it, doesn't mm. fucking matter. And you know what? Having gone on at length about Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, I will also say, super attractive. Yes. <laughs> Not that anybody needs my approval. Yeah. But, I don't know where I'm going with this anymore. Unlike Barbie, <laughs> which knows exactly where it's going. It's fucking great! <laughs> yeah, and it's going all over the goddamn place. Holy shit. <laughs> I think, I mean, I, oh god. No, because I want to talk about that, but it's hard to really properly give the context without spoiling the movie, or spoiling that particular aspect of the movie. Because there's going to be talking about freaking 
Will Ferrell and his part and everything, everybody that surrounds right. him. Right, Will Ferrell's <laughs> in this movie. That's almost an afterthought. Yeah. <laughs> Helen Mirren's in it. Michael Sarah, America Ferrera, Kingsley Benadier, Simu Liu. F- fuck! Mm-hmm. No, I'm not gonna... That's a spoiler. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I just... This movie is fun, but it's also... Poignant. Oh, God. You know what? Like, I think... No. No. I'll have to reevaluate my... I'll have to reevaluate my rankings, but fuck. Mm-hmm. The fact that this movie switches back and forth between poignantly depressing and an absolute zany romp is just... It, it's astounding. Dare I say, sublime. Sublime. <laughs> uh, oh, there's so many good jokes. There's so many! This is such a funny movie, and so many of them are just blink and you miss it. <laughs> there's one that we didn't miss, probably to the chagrin of our theater. Oh, man. I, 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 <laughs> look, I would feel worse if the people directly next to me hadn't been obnoxious. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've sat next to more obnoxious people, but the the I assume the mom, there was at least, like, a three different points where a couple of minutes she spent just on her fucking phone. Mm-hmm. Not, not talking, but, you know, browsing. Yeah. Once after it went off, <sighs> I swear to God, I wanted to fucking just... I wanted to say something, mm. but I didn't. <laughs> Anyways... That, that, that's not really important for this movie, other than I want to see it again, just so I can catch the bits where I had to miss part of it because they were about to ask me to move because apparently they can't count. Yeah. And somebody else is in their seats because <laughs> apparently they can't count. Why is it so goddamn hard? Yeah, I don't get that. I mean, first of all, show up et- for the movie on time, but second... Just basic etiquette. Right? But no... Ah, this... I, I'm running out of ways to say that this movie is a roller coaster and I love it, but this movie is a roller coaster and I love it. Go see the movie. Go see it. Go see both of them. You might, you probably have already. Mm-hmm. Judging from these, judging from these box office results, but if you haven't, absolutely 100%. Go see this. This is great. Mm-hmm. Barbie Land is an absolute HOA. <laughs> Barbie Land is the epitome of a homeowners association. Okay, I was gonna say, like, wait, what? Where is this going? <laughs> yeah, no. But I mean, like, it's like that, but it's intentional. The design is just, it's so immaculately plastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> also, uh, you know what, that, that I, I feel like this is a spoiler, but I will just say, uh, and I'll and I'll have more to say on the notes in a moment, but this movie holds the distinction of having the longest singular note I've ever made during these. <laughs> should we get to spoiler talk? Yeah, I think we should. Alright, so if you don't want to get spoiled on Barbie, and if you have not seen it, absolutely 100% click away, go see it, then get back to us. For the love of Christ, just go see but it. But also make sure if you haven't already to like, comment, subscribe, follow us on Facebook, TikTok, X, I guess. Uh, Fucking uh, Elon Musk and his stupid Jesus ass Christ. bullshit. I'm still calling it Twitter. It's, yeah. Or don't follow me on Twitter, because if you want to bail out of that sinking ship, I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> Anyways, if you don't want to get spoiled on Barbie, make sure to click away in 3, 2, 1. I should think the fact that we did it through a run-through of this movie in the non-spoiler section kind of says everything. <laughs> yeah. Because, like I said, most of what you see is the first half. It turns out, because 
like I don't know. I've I've heard people say they were expecting kind of a Lego movie twist where mm-hmm. Barbie being a doll was the twist, but no, that's established very early in. <laughs> the, the the bit from the first trailer where they do the 2001 Space Odyssey-esque explanation of the Barbie doll and how it revolutionized little girl entertainment, that's yeah. the first scene in the movie. That is actually the first bit of the movie. Which ends up leading into the big central conflict, which is that the Barbies over in the homeowners association that is Barbie Land <laughs> are all convinced that they have solved the problem of sexism in the real world by virtue of their existence. By demonstrating that girls can grow up to be whatever they want. So they live Mm. in this little bubble, in this seemingly perfect pristine matriarchy, and this is part of why- This is part of why I fucking can't believe that the usual goddamn chuds are mad at this fucking movie, because it's anti-men, and it makes fun of the patriarchy, when it's like, Motherfucker, they already demonstrate that if you flip the tables, it wouldn't be any more personally satisfying for anybody involved. Yeah. Because the whole thing is that- in this allegedly perfect Barbie society where the Barbies all run everything and can be whoever they want, A, not all of them are happy, and B, they're basically doing to the Kens what the patriarchy does to women in the real world. Yeah, and it's your usual suspects that are surprised by this and mad about it, but it's just like, no, it's making it very clear that this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And it's the thing of like ideally what it would makes what it would make any reasonable human being do is look at this and go, Wow, this is bullshit. But no, it's like, oh, it's just making fun of men and the patriarchy. First off, the patriarchy is stupid. Secondly yeah. <laughs> It's not about horses at all. Yeah. <laughs> but secondly, it's like, no, part of the thing that Half of this is just gonna be me saying quotes and then refusing to elaborate. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it kind of upsets your train of thought just to get it out of the no, way. No, go for it. It doesn't care. This train's off the rails. Yeah, but it is like, even though the movie has a unapologetically and completely unsurprising because it's a fucking Barbie movie kind of take on like what it's like to be a woman and the just mountain of bullshit that women go through in our world, it does the same thing for men. Like, it's not as obvious but there's definitely moments where it's just like, no, this is literally those situations flipped. Yeah, not quite the same, but... No, not... Yeah, but it's but it's still like... The end result is still everybody's miserable. Yeah, and to the point where Ken goes through a roller coaster of... Is Ken's whole thing the B-plot of this movie? I'd call it the... No, you know what? It's actually kind of the A-plot. Yeah. I rather, he and Barbie are both the A-plot in the sense of Barbie's existential crisis is directly linked to Ken's, I can't believe I'm gonna fucking say this, intensely sexist radicalization <laughs> in the Barbie movie. I love it! No, I genuinely love it too because, as I understand it, they use Ken shockingly well as a vehicle to show how that happens in the stages of it and all that too, and I'm just like, Wow, that actually makes a lot of sense. That is really well done. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the practice of basically being told that you run the world, you own it, you can do whatever you want, and you don't really need to try all that hard. Realizing that is not the case, and then being convinced by other people that it's not the people up top you should be mad at for making the society this way. It's the other people who are struggling right alongside you, but aren't quite you that are the problem. Yeah, and. It kind of hits at the whole thing, too, of how... God, it's such a hard thing to talk about. Because on one hand, I do love it. On the other hand, 
I think it's the only part of the movie that I say it has the potential to be kind of clunky, just because at the end of the day, the thing, the things that are really conveying this are ultimately anthropomorphic dolls that are very fully established to not have a complete understanding of how human society actually works. Right. But it really does a good job of showing not just like what you said, but also how that can get someone to make the decision, especially like a young man or younger man who doesn't know what his purpose in the world is, has no idea like what he's supposed to do with himself and really isn't having any good guidance in that aspect either. It really does a good job of showing how Ken makes the decisions that he does. They're not justified. Ken does a lot of fucked up shit. (laughs) But you can also see why he makes the decisions that he does. And it's not justified, but it is understandable, if that makes sense. Yeah. If anything, I'd say... And this movie, like, when I I say instead of directing it to the people at the top, this movie's actually way more sympathetic to the people at the top than I was expecting, because Will Ferrell's CEO character, yeah, he's a bubbling fucking idiot who directly benefits from the patriarchy and is inadvertently helping perpetrate it, but the point made Mm -hmm. is, it's inadvertent. He Mm -hmm. actively means well. Yeah, like, it's shown that it's like, even though he's an idiot and is very money-driven, there's still a certain degree of him showing, like, he's doing what he's doing because he genuinely cares. And he believes in the concept of Barbie. Yeah, it's just that in the aspect of being, like, a CEO and... An older white guy. And an older white guy. (laughs) I was trying to think of a more succinct way of saying it, but that works. Uh, Like, a CEO and an older white guy, there are just things that he is just not at all going to grasp about the thing that he's in charge of, even though it's something he cares about. Some of my best friends are Jewish. (laughs) That came out of nowhere! (laughs) That was so (laughs) random! (laughs) I was just like, racist Will Ferrell? What? (laughs) So... Or xenophobic Will Ferrell? What the fuck? This movie... By the way, this movie makes full use. Full fucking use of its PG-13 rating. Yeah. (laughs) God, the fact that they directly reference that Barbie and Ken don't have genitals. Yeah, and it's like, it's not even like a hand. It's just like, Barbie just looks at a bunch of construction workers and goes, I don't have a vagina. And Ken doesn't have a penis. Like, just... No genitals between us. And then Ken just goes, I have all the genitals. <laughs> I God, like, I love his I love I love him. He's great. Yeah, he is so good. <laughs> but okay, so when I said earlier that Barbie fills me with a inherently essentially similar feeling of anxiety as Oppenheimer, but less abstract, but also weirdly muted. It's the kind of it's the realization that whereas Oppenheimer is the Society that you owe your you you owe your existence as you know it to this horrible thing. Barbie mm-hmm. is you are currently living in yeah. this thing and in some way, shape, or form, probably helping perpetrate it. Even if it's totally unintentional. Even if unintentional, and that really sucks because as a person who's not really great at peopling, and I should say specifically, as a cis mostly straight white guy who doesn't mm-hmm. really know how to people. Mm-hmm. And that includes not knowing how to talk to women, even though it should be as simple as just talking to people. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. How's it going? <laughs> I historically have been, and in some ways still am, an incredibly cringe human being. I am trying to improve mm-hmm. that, but it's a it's a process. Yeah. But fuck, does this movie make me feel bad? No, like, for me, the thing that really 
I'd say not to the severity, but still gets drives that point home is later on in the movie. And again, I apologize if you had like an idea of how you wanted this to go, and I'm just jumping. A no, bit, no, jumping is fine. But for me, the thing that really drives that aspect home is America's speech about what it's like to be a woman and everything about that. It is because it's not just the speech, but it's what they do with the speech. It is a it's pure silent. There's no music or anything going on. It is just her preaching. And but it's not even like really bad preaching because because like you've seen like preaching in other movies and shows and whatnot where it's supposed to be like the person there, it's kind of hard to understand where they're coming from because they're kind of on a soapbox. At the point when this happens, enough shit has happened to where America for our speech is, like, justified. And all the things she talks about are things that, at least for me, I have observed in different degrees just living. Right. And observing people and observing interactions and stuff like that. And there are like some that. that aren't exclusively... There are some that aren't exclusively women problems. But... Yeah, there's... There are some that, like, are things that influence, like, everybody, but it is described from the standpoint of just being a woman in modern society, and it's just, like, I hear everything in it, and I hear every line that she's saying, I'm like, I can't argue against that. Right. I cannot argue against that. It's like, it's not that I'm trying to, but I'm like, yeah, that's real. And the yeah, fact that true. I can relate to yeah, parts real of it shit. makes the rest of it feel <laughs> even worse, like the whole thing about you have to assert yourself, but you can't be emotional. I'm sitting here on this podcast gushing about how much I love these movies and screaming about stupid bullshit that rich people do. Yeah. And I'm a guy, so a lot of people find that funny. Yeah, and then it's even more like kind of, for lack of better description, grounded in reality things. Things like how you're supposed to love being a mother, but you can't talk about your kids too damn much because you'll be annoying. Or how, you know, you're supposed to be a career woman, but you're supposed to still look out for other people. Which is something that... I just feel in a general sense. <laughs> um, I have seen that with just people in general, men or women alike, where it's like they're trying to better their lives and better their career, not just necessarily for their individual sake, but for the sake of people that rely on them. But in doing that, that unfortunately comes into the territory of, you know, having to step on a few eggshells and people getting pissy about that. It's like, I'm trying to survive, dude. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm trying to better my life, especially if you're a woman, because you, like, to a certain degree, you you are, well, not to an even a remotely arguable, just to a degree, you are already behind just based on factors that you can't control. I think the fact that this speech is so extensive goes a long way towards making it great, because it's yeah. so, it's not even all-encompassing, but it covers so many of the inane paradoxes of modern society that it's hard not to find something that you relate to, which makes it easier to sympathize and empathize with the rest of it. I think the line in that that got me the most that makes me go, it's like, yes, for fucking real, is the bit where it's like she's saying, it's like, if your man messes up or has bad behavior, you're supposed to apologize for it, which is completely insane. But you can't point it out. Yeah, but you can't point it out because then you're then you're complaining. I'm like, yes, thank you. That is bullshit. <laughs> I don't that is like the anybody most to make any apologies for anything I do except me and maybe violent television. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm kidding. Because, <laughs> because it's the thing of it's not even in the aspect of being in a relationship or anything like that. It's like that's the kind of behavior you would expect a mother with her children, not one grown adult paired with another grown adult. You have to be their mom, but you can't remind them of their mom. 
Yeah, just... <laughs> it is, and I have a feeling that was also probably the bit that probably tuned not a lot of people and got the people that were that are not surprised to be, like, tapped out The assholes. The assholes, to, like, just leave. It was like, no, this is directed at you, and you really need to pay attention, because it's like, even though all of this does affect women and whatnot... It's not exclusive to them, if that makes sense. These yeah. are just things that are just bad behaviors in general. And I'm not trying to say that to take away from the greater point that's being made. Don't get me wrong. But it's just a lot of it is just like things where if you take it and dissect it a little bit more from beyond what um what's being talked about, what America Ferrari is, say- Ferrara is saying, it's like, no, there are so many things that this can be applied to, but it's important to also acknowledge how if you're a woman and you're dealing with this, you just have even more bullshit to deal with on top of that from just people being shitty. Yeah. And it's just, oh, it's like, in terms of long overall sequence, favorite part of the movie by far. Because it is just, at the end of the day, it all just boils down to a long speech that a long, really, really well thought out, really well written, really poignant, and really genuine speech that ultimately boils down to we're all into this together, whether you like it or not. And we're all responsible for making this when we go along with it. So stop being fucking assholes. <laughs> Which, you know what, Greg? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like super pat us both on the back, but I'm glad that we both walked away from this going, That is fucked. Now I feel bad yeah. about it, and now I want and now I wanna do better. The work is not done because if I may read, if I may read my longest thought ever written down during a movie showing, it's almost like treating mostly empty symbolic gestures as an actual solution for sexism results in disappointment when reality fails to live up to expectations and results in a bunch of hapless man babies with no idea how to talk to women who are nonetheless dependent on them for their sense of self-worth. That is probably the single most astute thought I've ever had watching a movie. Yeah, and I also want to very much drive home. I am not, I know you already said it, but it's like, I am genuinely and not at all trying to do a whole, yeah, pat my back because I get it. I fully acknowledge, especially being a, yeah, like, I, I, I don't really know what cis means completely, if I'm being honest, but. Comfortable in skin. Okay, yeah, oh yeah, 100%. Cis, also mostly straight, but black guy instead of white guy. I know that I am very much arriving on the station late to this. And I know that there are certain aspects that are going to be foreign to me no matter what because of that. Right. Just being a guy. Like, you know, there's certain things that are just, like, not interchangeable just because of who I am. Kind of in a similar vein, not to, like, go deep into it, but how, you know, I've talked to other people in our friend group and stuff like that about the things that, like, in society happen differently between black people and white people. And how it's there's going to be a different response to that and a different consequence of that just based on the color of skin. And in this aspect, there's going to be a different response and a different consequence based on whether or not you're a man or a woman. And there are certain things about that that I very unfortunately will never be able to fully, I don't want to say mesh with, but have a full, like a true, complete understanding and acknowledgement of just because of who I am. Which is very unfortunate because I don't want this to be the norm. <laughs> no, I get you. Now, of course, what's helped by all of this before is that preceding this whole thing is one of the best fourth wall breaks I've ever experienced in any movie. <laughs> Note to the filmmakers, Margot Robbie is the wrong person to cast if you want to make the point about Barbie not being pretty enough. Yeah, it's just like... <laughs> which Said I by still, Helen Mirren! Which I still maintain, I feel like 
from what I gather, Greta Gerwig is someone who, like, sticks really hard to, like, a particular script. I refuse. I mean, I'm sure she's smart enough and witty enough to come up with that line. But part of me just wants to believe that that was just something that Helen Mirren said off the cuff. And she's like, no, we're keeping that. That is amazing. <laughs> I know that, generally speaking, in a lot of ways, um, writers and all that don't like it when actors and actresses ad-lib. Because even when it's good and when they acknowledge it's good, it's just kind of a thing of like, at the end of the day, in the back of your brain, you're going, they just did better at my job than I do at my job. That's not cool. You know, I, I, I'm I sorry to bring it back to Oppenheimer real quick, but I remember reading a quote from Robert Downey Jr. about working on Oppenheimer where he said something to the effect of, Christopher Nolan said to him at one point, Robert, I know you have a penchant for improvisation, but uh, if you're ever in doubt, feel free to just gently float your way back to the script. <laughs> you know what i feel like i feel like that is a good thing to tell robert downey jr and even though i love his improvisation i say that feeling like he would be level-headed enough to go like you know what i'm Fair. gonna respect that anyways back to barbie one of my favorite quotes that i wrote down not my absolute favorite which i'll get to in a second god but uh i don't control the railways or the flow of commerce <laughs> said said in response tearfully to being called a fascist <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness i did not have everyone in this movie does a great job but freaking ariana greenblatt as um sasha gloria's daughter american ferrara's da daughter does a great job at no point at in any bingo card I could remotely think of, did I have teenage girl calling Barbie a fascist <laughs> on, on any bingo card I ever could have written. <laughs> Amazing. And she's great, too, because she also brings up... Oh, God. I think my one of my favorite things about this movie is how willing Mattel, and to a lesser degree, Warner Brothers, are open to just shitting on themselves. Like, for example... <laughs> you know what? That's the perfect segue to my favorite quote for this movie because the people who get mad at this are the same people in a lot of senses who are going to get mad at Barbie anyway because there's a weird overlap here. Mm -hmm. And it is. It felt like a really strange, far off dream where I was really invested in the success of Zack Snyder's Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> Said after being snapped out of patriarchy brainwashing. Yeah, just like... We lost our shit, and I felt a little bit bad, but boy howdy, I was not expecting that. No, that came out of nowhere, and in the greater context, it's still a really good joke. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not even... God, it's amazing that they made a joke like that, because it's it would have just been funny if it was just an off-the-cuff jab at the movie, but if you think about it, it actually works very well into the themes of the movie. <laughs> Other great quotes, I would never wear heels if my feet were shaped this way. Mm. <laughs> I'm a man with no power, does that make me a woman? <laughs> oh, that hurt. I was just like, damn, dude. <laughs> you're either brainwashed or you're weird and ugly. <laughs> After sparkles comes female agency. Mm. <laughs> Good God. This movie's just full of great things. We went this whole time and we still haven't brought up the fact that the Kens have a whole musical number, starting with them in a war with each other on a beach that then turns into a choreographed, synchronized dance number. Isn't it, like, d d directly implied that one of the Kens in that beach section actually legit has a gun? Yeah! One of the executives from Mattel who went to Barbie Land apparently got shot, and that never comes up again! 
and like actually got shot and he's just like wait i think the the executive that got shot is like wait do they have a gun do they have guns here and it's never touched again nope. <laughs> no this was so good yeah I think I'm talking myself back around into wanting to see this one about as much as Oppenheimer again. I'm getting both of these day one on Blu-ray, I'll tell you what. Oh yeah, for real. Oh goodness, God, this movie's so good. There's so much going on, and it's like, like I said, it is not subtle, but Mm -hmm. it manages to pack so much in by not being subtle. Yeah, And and it's also the thing of, like, it has so much wonderful, like, character development. Character development, that is in a lot of ways applicable to, like, relationships and society in our world, rises and falls and just general fucking nuttiness. Uncertainty as to where you belong or what you're supposed to be. Yeah. The feelings of inadequacy that come from failing to live up to an aspiration or expectation that either yourself or society has set for you. Yeah. Just random thoughts of death. (laughs) (laughs) Random inescapable thoughts of death. Yeah, it's just like, do you have intrusive thoughts of death? It's like, yes, I do! It's just like, how do you know? <laughs> it's like, that's, it's like, the movie plays it off and it does it really good, but I'm just sitting there the whole time, it's like, I am genuinely concerned for these people. I feel admired, but with no undertones of violence whatsoever. Oh yeah, mine has very strong undertones of violence. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, ah, uh, here we go. Oh, <laughs> and it's during that whole thing and it's completely on point too. Yep. <laughs> You know what, just just another stray observation I want to note. Uh, whoever the fuck approved the growing up Skipper doll, I Holy hope you shit. got help. Holy fucking shit. Because this movie shit, is was... full of actual discontinued Barbies and Kens and just weird mm. one-off jokes about these, about these, like, particular Barbies and Kens. Growing up Skipper is horrifying. Yeah, and also Alan. And Alan. I like Alan. Who fucked shit up. <laughs> Alan fucked shit up when the occasion called for it. No, he was good. <laughs> he was great. <laughs> if they ever figure out how to build that wall sideways instead of up, nobody's ever getting in or out of Barbie land again. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, I think my favorite as far as all the one-offs were like was like Sugar Daddy Ken. Yeah, but it, it, it's Sugar's Daddy. Yeah, and it's like, well, not at all even remotely close to the same level as growing up Skipper. Like, it's not to the same degree. It's still one of those things where I look at that and it's just like, who the fuck said that sentence, that name out loud and thought, yeah, this is a good idea. This will sell like hotcakes. Uh. <laughs> and it's just like, I, I did love the whole thing as well of Kate McKinnon playing weird Barbie. And it's just like, oh, that's how Barbie gets when you play with her too hard. Yep. And she is just, I feel like she's just having like the time of her life <laughs> as weird Barbie. And just everyone going, it's like, I'm sorry I called you Weird Barbie, both, like, behind your back and to your face. (laughs) This movie is so good that even though this is a spoiler section, I I refuse to give away the final joke. Oh, oh, is it? What, What the appointment was for. Oh, yeah, no, I was thinking it was the one where it's, like, President Barbie rocking down the steps, because... Nope. For me, okay, because I was, like... Oh, when she says motherfuckers and it gets censored by the Mattel symbol? Yeah, because I think it's like, you know, this is a PG-13 movie. I don't think they would do it, but man, it would be cool to have a well-placed F-bomb in here. And here she just goes, it's like, that's right, motherfucker. And it's just censored with the Mattel logo. It's just like, okay. (laughs) No, I'm not going to give away the actual last joke of the movie, because that one Mm. has to be seen. Yeah, that has to be seen. That is one of the 
best brick jokes I've ever seen in my life. That is one of the funniest long-term setups for a movie punchline. And it's a setup, and it's a joke that also kind of, like, ties the movie together with a nice pink bow. Yeah! It is just a perfect finisher to the rest of the movie, to all, everything that happens in the movie. It's just like, oh, this is actually, like, one of the most perfect movies I have ever seen from start to finish. (laughs) This has been a doozy of a weekend. Yeah. Also, the the movie ruining. Oh, what was the song that got sung on the beach? Um, Ooh. Oh, push. Yeah, it's just By the Matchbox movie. Twenty. And the movie just ruins that song. <laughs> like, I, I, I found out it's kind of unfortunate because, according to the songwriter, it's supposed to be about a male abuse victim. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's Apparently. unfortunate. I mean, <laughs> Which, I have never... Oh, no. <laughs> and I guess also means it fits the Kens even more. Yeah. I mean, indirectly, because the, the Barbie abuse is not... The abuse perpetrator... The... <laughs> I hesitate to even call it abuse, but the... Like I said, the movie the movie doesn't shy away from the fact that the perfect Barbie land matriarchy is is not inherently any more satisfying than the patriarchy the Kens try to set up. In the in the final act of the movie, actually, it's second half, more like. Mm-hmm. But, oh man, I feel like we skipped over that pretty much entirely. Yeah. What a zany movie. While it's probably not one of the best jokes, it does have like an amazing punchline because there's a whole thing with like the Ken singing to the Barbies at the beach, and it's all part of a greater plan to get the Kens to distrust each other. And then the final step of the whole thing is like when they're at their moment, when they think they have you completely and everything. Just take it away from them. And I'm thinking, it's like, oh, they're going to be like, can you play a different song or, <laughs> or this or something like that? It's like, they just whip out their phones and just start texting. I'm just like, Whoa! oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it's just like fucking brilliant. Because it's can't really say that I have like major experience with this in all honesty. But I feel like nothing would like be a massive momentum killer than singing to a pretty girl and ha- having her complete attention. And then just out of nowhere, she's like, I'm going to do something else and just go on her phone. It's just like, what damn, after, after after staring uncomfortably into her eyes for four and a half minutes? <laughs> yeah, she was like, that <laughs> fucking, st- that stung. Oh, man. That stung, you're like, you're going to need all the icy hot to remove that And yet one. they all had it coming. They all had it coming. It's like, that is, that is the thing of like, I need someone to call a doctor because I just witnessed a fucking murder. <laughs> I think that about sums it up. Yeah, there's not much more we can say without just going into a whole thing, basically summing up the movie. And there's just no time for that. Watch this fucking movie. Watch the goddamn movie. This is a rub. Uh, this is a rub. I don't think I, next week is going to be anywhere nearly as fun. No, I I don't think we're going to get a movie weekend as good as this one for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's a bit of a shame. But next week, it looks like our options are Haunted Mansion or Talk to Me. Which means probably both. For me, at least. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely leaning towards Haunted Mansion more than Talk To Me. Although, Talk To Me looks good. It does look good. I'm leaning more towards Talk To Me, but on the flip side, I like Lakeith Stanfield, Rosario Dawson, Tiffany H- The The only person in that cast who I'm not really looking forward to is Jared Leto. Yeah, you know what? I didn't know that Jared Leto was even cast in that movie until the most recent trailer. And he's so buried under either makeup or CGI that, like... It seems mm. like he's actually giving a performance, so... It's, hey, there you go. Who knows? Might actually be good. Yeah, we'll see. In any case, thanks so much for listening to this entire fucking 
depraved spiel. <laughs> this depraved, just total madness just of a podcast. A spiral. Yes. Because this has been a really good time for me, at least. Oh, yeah, same for me. <laughs> and I hope it's been a good time for you guys, too. Mm-hmm. But, in any case, thank you so much for listening. This has been Under the Bridge with Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And with Greg, a.k.a. Greg. And we will catch you guys next week. Goodbye, everybody. Bye!